Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for Concept 23. Today's concept, percussion. I'm here with my old friend, Will Johnson. He's a professional percussionist and, I don't know, overall musical genius. Uh, we've been friends for something like eight or nine year, years or something like that, and I am so pumped to to have you here and here in Boone. Thanks for visiting. Thanks for being yeah. part of this, man. This is awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I've, I've always felt a really deep connection with you, and we've only hung out a handful of times. Yeah. And I really can't figure out, I can't even put into words how or mm -hmm. why or what. Yeah. But if, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> and I love following your stuff online. Yeah. Your music is very uniquely you, and I just want to learn from you about percussion. So I'll start with telling you that I'm a drummer in my heart. I don't know uh, how to do got anything. It, got it, got it. <laughs> so I'm learning, not so much because I might actually start doing it, right. but just because I want to know more about drumming and got percussion. It, and, and you've played in a couple drum circles before, though. If I, yeah, my but I mean like... Me banging around on okay. like a bongo or something. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. So what does percussion mean? That's a good question. Now I can dive into the etymology and all of yeah. that stuff, but at the end of the day, it's basically striking, scraping, uh, shaking, basically the, the impact of one thing on another. So percussive, uh, that word percussive, meaning that that's striking, you know. Striking. So for that, for that reason, a piano, is it considered a percussion Because it hits the strings. The hammers are hitting the yeah. strings, exactly. So there's a lot of instruments that you could consider percussion instruments. Um, something, and it's not just a musical term, something can be percussive, you know. Uh, so, yeah, just that striking one thing of another. Oh, yeah. yeah. So drumming is percussion, but mm -hmm. percussion doesn't necessarily mean drumming. Right, right. So percussion could be marimbas, it could be vibes. So when you, in, in, Let's say, and I'm going to use these broad general sweep, sweeping generalities, in the Western University classical music uh, teaching, if you're a percussion major, you in a lot of schools, that may mean that you're going to play the marimba as well. You're going to play the vibraphone. So you still have to learn scales and modes. Mm. So you're still doing what is going to happen on a piano. And that's percussion still because you're using mallets. So it could still be melody. It could see melodic or harmonic structures. Man, why do you like it so much? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I always thought, the, it's funny, I'm, I'm never really asked that question a whole lot. But yeah. um, for me, I guess to really answer that question, I'd have to go back to why I started. Yeah, yeah. And for me, something about, something about African drumming and something about drums in general and when i say drums not just the drum kit yeah but drums that had a certain timbre that had a certain tone color to them so if they had a membrane like a leather skin or they could be tuned to a certain kind of pitch or let's even say a west african djembe you know if it had that kind of sound it always stuck out to me even in the world of hip-hop the beat the groove stuck out to me mm. um so it, it, for me, it always felt like there was something very human to it. I love to dance. Always love to dance. Yeah. I, I always thought I wanted to be a dance choreographer. That's okay. what I wanted to do first yeah. before I became a musician. And so the drum is obviously very connected to the dance. Of course. And then when you think about different uh, traditions, like uh, let's say, a, just for example, a West African drum ensemble, you might not even have any other melodic instrument sometimes or many times you may just have an ensemble of drums or that's my experiences in west africa yeah two, yeah two drums right and it could be i mean and you have this polyphony this 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 syncopation that's happening but they're the way it's tuned the way it's played all of the notes that are played is so still very expressive yeah you know it's very um what is the uh word for it i was gonna say not demonstrative that's more of your outer emotions but it's very um I can't remember the word I would think of the word I was going to use but it's just a connection to human you know yeah. there's a human element there it's very earthy very organic you know why why do you feel that way about a drum more so than any any instrument I mean you could maybe argue the same for yeah. any instrument but is it because it's is 
because it's not simple. It takes a lot of very, right. a lot of expertise to to make and yeah. to understand to tune it. But is it because it's it's just at you and that thing, and you hit yeah. it, and it's like primal or something like that? Uh, that's or a like, good question. Uh, to, for me, it's still a mystery. It's still a mystery. Uh, but at the same time, I can connect at least one one dot, uh, and I think it goes deeper than this. But I know that when I was around 15, 16 years old, I started kind of connecting a little more, as a lot of people do. They start thinking about their family history. Mm -hmm. And I started getting into the culture and ancestry and heritage and all that. And then I started studying um, black history, American history. And I started studying Latino history in the Puerto Rican context and Cuban context. And later on, I started getting, at this time, you know, you got... In the hip-hop scene, you got Diggable Planets. Uh -huh. Then you have, on the neo-soul side of things, you have like a red, groups like Arrested Development right, coming out. Right. And they were very Afrocentric, and they were starting to put these um, grooves into the music. So I'm being exposed to it, even right. though uh, I wasn't necessarily you know, a kid, a Puerto Rican black kid in L.A. or Southern California. And I'm being exposed to it, even though I wasn't exposed to like straight Afro pop or other something else, straight from an island or whatever. So, but I'm being exposed to a form of it. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, around this time, you got Paul Simon and Graceland. You yeah. know. So there's a more, just like a lot of people, there's more of an exposure of what's happening coming out of West Africa, South Africa, the Caribbean, um, and then you know later on J Lo and Big Pun and others start yeah. hitting the scene. So there's this awareness of uh, Puerto Rican heritage and culture and so I'm now I'm starting to hear the elements of those various subcultures mm. and it spoke to me for whatever reason and it probably that particular part because there was a connection to the heritage right and when I heard it even though there was the mystery to me is there was other instruments why that instrument but perhaps it had something to do with me being into hip hop and beatboxing whenever we yeah. I loved the freestyle yeah yeah and I would always get in these freestyle battles but the etiquette of the freestyle battle is somebody's got a beatbox. Uh -huh. And I was often that dude. Right. And so I was always... Does that count as percussion or not? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. You could look at an amazing producer like Timberland and all these percussive beats that he's making. A lot of that started because he used to be the one that would beatbox with Missy, yeah. Elliot, and others. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, these are tones. And that actually finds its way into various uh, cultures across the world, like let's say Kanako, which is uh, in, in uh, East India, where you have um, the uh, percussive tradition, hundreds and hundreds of years old, of speaking the rhythms, where you yeah. might say like a certain tone or note on the drum will have a certain syllable attached to it. So really? it might, if, if this note it goes ding, it might be ta. And that ta is always when your finger hits this part of the drum, okay. where ta might be a bass note with the ta, a certain kind of bass note. So in that particular school, under that master, that guru, that teacher, you have these bowls, which it means in that Hindi word means to speak, right? And so you can actually speak the rhythms. Well, all, in different parts of the world, they'll do this as an oral way as well as a, a, written, a written way to pass down these rhythms. So it's very much connected. That is fascinating. Know? Yeah. So you're talking about art, music being a form of art. Mm -hmm not just not only being abstract it was it's not just trying to say something mysterious it's trying to say something specific that someone understands specific. as yes. they hear it mm -hmm. if they understand that language yeah do you feel like that about your music that you're trying to that you're trying to say something mm -hmm. that maybe is beyond words but yeah. but maybe can still be understood yeah yeah uh 100% and then at the same time sometimes it's just my relationship with maybe the previous day, maybe that morning, whatever, with the Holy Spirit, with God, and just praying, and then I'm just doing whatever Will does. Yeah. If I think this is a cool rhythm, I've already had that relationship with God and, and my expression of my personality, everything that's in me, I think this is cool, this would be a cool song, and I just roll with it. And then sometimes I have a meaning for it later, sometimes I don't even have a meaning. It's just coming out of years and years of study with that instrument or experimentation with various instruments. So it could be a hundred different things. Just depends on that time and that song. Mm -hmm. It's not one particular, you know, thing. But sometimes I am. Sometimes that particular rhythm, I'm trying to convey a certain kind of meaning because that's my guitar. You but know, you've got to really know that instrument you in to. order to be able to express. Yes. Like if I, if you handed me one of these things that you've got here. Yeah. 
I might be able to tap on it enough to be like, yeah, that sounds fine. Right. But by not understanding it, I can't really communicate right. Right. from the depth. Yeah. So how? Talk about a little bit the the. I don't know if it's attention or not, but that's the word that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. No. Needing to have exact execution. Mm-hmm. And also wanting to be creative and have freedom. Right. So, so one's very specific and technical, but you have yeah, to do you it have in to have order a facility to, to express something. Yeah, talk right, about right. that. Well, we're doing that even right now with the yeah. English language. We still have to have a certain fundamental knowledge to express our thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Right? But then the words serve us. We don't serve the word. Right. right? And right. words, definitions change over time. Yeah. Well, music is the same thing. I remember growing up. Uh, when growing up in my like what would be traditional college years and when I went off to the Air Force and I became an aircraft mechanic and my dad would tell me he said one of the main things about being a mechanic because he was a master electrician he said one of the main things about being a mechanic is actually being able to troubleshoot and figure out solve a problem Mm. but that's the essence of being a true mechanic is being able to solve a problem with what you have so for me music is about using a certain facility that I have and whatever resources. So I utilize dynamics, I utilize articulation, the way my hands or feet actually strike the instrument. Mm -hmm. I use a knowledge of where are various tones, a connection to my ear and mind to what I'm playing that I'm going, oh, I didn't necessarily like this in combination with the last one. Let me strike it a little closer to the center, a little bit out here. So I'm using that tone color. I'm using all of these in combination to maybe say I want you to feel like if I use uh, words as an analogy, uh, inflections. When I say, uh-huh. man, and then we went to the store. All <laughs> yeah. of a sudden, you kind of lean in right yeah, there. Like I used something to happened pause. at the store. I'm cre- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm creating tension. Yeah, yeah. So in music, you create tension. You create an environment. And what, do you, what kind of environment you want? Just like a house. Yeah. It's like language. And so I'm doing the same thing with percussion. Where it's often lost at with percussion is that generally... You can come over to this drum that I have, like in this podcast. I have a couple drums in front of me. You can come over to this drum that's in front of me, and you can make, with relatively not too difficult, make a nice sound. Yeah. Is it still recording? Yeah. Yeah. It's still recording. So you can make a nice sound. It wouldn't be too hard. Now, if I take a Spanish guitar, it might be a little less accessible. You could still make a nice sound, but you could also, is it in tune? Is it dissonant to your western ears as far as a scale oh, a, right. but you can still come over here and basically make a sound that would be acceptable it's more accessible seemingly now we can go down that trail right layers as well right actually truly knowing how to speak the language of it is different and there's, a, there's different layers but yeah i couldn't pick up a guitar and just hit it and have it sound like it's a note. It's not as accessible. But I could just hit the middle of that thing and be like, all right, that, that counts. Right, that counts. <laughs> and so what happens then, it's often, um, what would be Under the word? Underestimated. Estimated. Yes, and it's undervalued. Yes. And so what happens is, unless you come from a certain culture where that instrument is elevated in the culture, yeah, you may not know that there is years of a history and tradition that's respected and that there are masters that have conveyed yeah. information. So you That's just think, so oh, good. well, obviously the, we have Bach and Beethoven. We're understood in school. We have a certain knowledge of music education. Right. But when it comes to the bongos, or everything's a bongo, you might yeah. over- underestimate and undervalue that there are, there's a lineage there. There's an understanding. There's a culture. There are rhythms. There are tones. Yeah. There's a way people, in, in a certain tradition, the way they tune. There's a way they use a certain... Uh, style of rhythm on that instrument in this genre as opposed to that genre oh wow you know there are um but yeah you can get really deep into that um so teach me some stuff like uh i mean there it's probably impossible for you to tell me about every kind of drum in the world or something right because i don't i mean but like is there talk to me about different different styles some of the things you got yeah. here and, and how they're different from one another. So, for instance, like you have, I, I generally, I started out with Latin percussion. That meaning Afro-Cuban and Afro-Puerto Rican percussion Okay. as it pertains to the conga drum and the bongos. So the conga drum is generally the large conical drum you might see someone like Sheila E. playing on. Yeah. Right? The larger one, the tall yeah. one. And you see in a lot of churches where the bongos are the small ones you see people playing between their 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 legs. Now, in that tradition, in the Cuban context of, let's say, 
rumba or mambo let's think like mambo the tiro puente or salsa a lot of people may have heard of like a salsa dance or the music going behind it um and these are generalities these are gonna be generalities right but in that um music they probably just went the screen probably went like it's still recording yeah this is see we're raw man we're raw on this podcast but anyways <laughs> the there is a context of there's something that's called, and I'll just, I'll just use this as the pivot to get deeper into this explanation. Yeah, yeah. You have what's called like a clave, and let's say Cuban music of, let's say not salsa because that's something different, and there's a whole other debate, and that's another thing. But anyways, okay. <laughs> let's say, um, let's say uh, son, or salsa's roots. Let's talk about salsa, but it's roots, it's Cuban roots, okay. right? Because in its essence, it's Cuban music. Um, there's been Puerto Rican influence, other influences, but its beginnings was that. So you have what's called a clave. And the clave is a percuss- two percussive instruments, two sticks. Now it's deeper than this, but what's used to make this sound are these two wooden sticks. And okay. they're beating up against each other playing a rhythm. And there's a couple different claves. Clave in Spanish means key. And the a whole role of it is to be the key that drives the whole ensemble. It tells everyone where the melody starts. Wow. It tells everyone where to play, what where the rhythm, certain type of rhythm should start. It's driving the band. It's the key. So like one clave, let's say the song clave might be a three two, let's say a three two rhythm. So three beats, then two beats, followed exactly by it. So get okay. That's a song clave, right? And that generally might now we think in bars in our Western one, two, if it's four, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and those short patterns. But this clave generally passes over two of those. Okay. Okay? So there's a three side and then there's a two side. And this song clave is the same thing as three, two, or two, three. If I start with the two side. It's the same thing, but what's different is where do we start the melody? Wow. Do I start the melody when I hear the first beat of the three, two, three, one, two? Or do I start the melody when I hear the first beat of the two, one, two, one, two, three? Now, that doesn't have to be played in the song. It's in the rhythms. Wow. So if I play this, this is what was called a tumbao in this conga. Right? That rhythm... The clave is in there. So the people that are playing piano and everyone else, the bass player knows based on that rhythm where the clave is. So the the conga player and the timbale player are working together with the bass player and everyone else, and they understand this is inherent in there, right? But it's similar. It's not too extraterrestrial. It's similar that, like, let's say in contemporary rock music or even traditional rock and roll, where the backbeat, we don't clap on one and three, we clap on two and four. And the backbeat of a particular song in the bass is driving what everyone else is kind of doing. The guitarist, if he's playing rhythm guitar, acoustic guitar, he may be chunking out the rhythm, especially if he's leading, and that rhythm may kind of dictate what the rhythm on the drum set's gonna be. Where the difference between this salsa, this example anyways, or this clave, and that, rock and roll as traditionally this might be a hard and fast rule where over here we don't necessarily oh. have to play the same rhythm the same backbeat wow. you see what i'm saying yeah. now even in that that there are different debates when it comes to clave where some people in this region of cuba might say something else someone over here might say something different but it's a very has a very passionate following and all these hard and fast rules there's something called contra uh clave and we went against the clave, and that's the last thing you want to do when you're playing in a Latin Cuban band or Puerto Rican salsa band, is cross that clave. That's the last thing. So it's the first thing you learn is instinctively. It's an understanding. When I hear a rhythm in salsa, I don't even have to hear clave. I know where the clave is. Wow. Based on what the piano's doing. Because the piano plays more percussively, like a matuno. So that is playing over a two-bar phrase. So what happens when sometimes when people try to emulate that sound, they just hear a Latin sound they may not know about that clave. 
that's wow. what makes it feel that way. That's what inherently makes it that that Cuban sound. If it's that guaracha or if it's that rumba, because then you have the rumba clave or whatnot. That's an example of understanding That's an example. a spine, seeing you can't see a person's spine. That's what I was going to say, foundation or, yeah. Exactly. That's, that is amazing. Yeah. So this is where the danger of when you talk about playing an instrument and wanting to learn some kind of tradition where ethnocentrism, being more focused on your culture, um, this is where the danger can come into play where you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it may seem on the outset, oh, well, that's, yeah. But maybe you might want to ask questions because there's something that they all know and they're following and that you don't see it, but it's hidden. So when you create music, Mm -hmm. how much allegiance do you feel like you have to have to an instrument based on its own history? Do you feel like you have to make that style music because that instrument came from that place and that's the style they do? Well, my short answer is no, because I'm all about fusion. And I read in this one book by uh, Ned Sublette, uh, the um, history. I might even have brought that book. I don't know if I brought it. But it, it's, it's about, oh, this one, Cuba and its music. He was talking about there's no immaculate conception in music. Okay. Right? And so when you think about the Virgin Mary and immaculate conception in the Christian context, right? Yeah. Um, that was the beginning. Well, in music, for us, we don't really have that. Even though there's a tradition at some point in time, that tradition borrowed something from someone else. That's so you life. still honor the tradition, but we still evolve. Yeah, every yeah, everything that we call tradition was a fusion at some point. It was yeah, a fusion, sure. right. And so yeah. for me, where my allegiance comes into play is if I'm going to say out of respect and honor that this is Cuban rumba. Oh, a yeah. A Cuban rumba if song. If you say it that way, you exactly. got to do it that way. Then you, you should <laughs> yeah. be respectful and make sure. If... But at the same time, though, if I do pick up a new percussion instrument, I do try to learn a little bit about the history and the culture. Well, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about knowing the language of rules of English language, mm-hmm. and then you add creativity. Like, yeah. what was this instrument made for? I should know that. Yeah. Even if I break those rules, it helps. I need to know what that, why they made it. Yeah, I think it helps just on a human level. You don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Sp- speak that someone has to do that yeah but i do believe in it because yeah. we're bridge bearers we're ambassadors as a musician as an artist really yeah. anything we do in life yeah you're an ambassador of what you do and you may sooner or later you live long enough you're going to come across a point where what you do is a build a bridge to someone else you Man, know i mean i feel like you are using music and talking about music in a way that the world needs right now even if music isn't part of it i mean you could almost fill in what you're saying just with culture right with groups of people from place a and place b yeah about learning from each other and understanding each other i feel like music though i think it helps carry that idea in a way that uh even if someone didn't think that they were open to learning about somebody the music like yeah. They like it whether they in. were ready for it or not. They're right. like, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next yeah. thing you know, they start to appreciate a people group mm-hmm. more where they might not have intentionally tried to do that. And the right. music was the carrier yeah. of that. And I feel like your music has a lot of that, you know, the, the fusion. It's not just fusion of style. It's fusion of people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's libraries and vocab. So I like to build a vocabulary and have a personal library and experiment with other stuff and then use that particular sentence, that grammar, to form a paragraph that I'm trying to say to the world. And you know, one thing though I would like to add is that we, we use the phrase a lot, music as a universal language. Yeah. That's true and at the same time it's not, right? Because sometimes if you ever heard a song or a style and you're like, I don't get that, I don't understand that. and there are things, just like I explained with that clave, there yeah. are things that you could end up disrespecting someone or crossing or not fully understanding what is it about that 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 person likes. So it's not really universal. Otherwise, everyone will play all the same styles and just be able to do it without learning. But at the same time, it can be. Where it's universal is if I don't know the language, I can go, wow, that was a really loud note or that was soothing. But where it's not universal is in that culture, 
is that particular sound considered soothing? Do those people, yeah. when they have a funeral, do they play happy music? See, some people might go, oh my goodness, that is so disrespectful to the family. No, they're honoring his life. Yeah, yeah. Right? So Different maybe to culture. them, that is what they do. And then they get trained that when they hear that, they, they associate with honoring the dead. There you go. Yeah, and you, you wouldn't go. know that. So essentially, so a lot of ethnomusicologists, anthropologists will say, you'll hear them say, no, music is not really a universal language. It's not going against that grain where we can use music when we can't speak the language, but it is trying to educate and, and take away the whole idea of that we're all the same, but we do have some cultural differences, and we don't want to just skirt over that. We don't want to just skip over that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, then, and then differences don't have to be spoken of in terms of better or worse. Right. It's learning. That's it, right yeah. there. The, the danger of the ethnocentrism. Yeah. Well, we want to be careful, and that could kind of creep in where we just say, "Yeah, this is just all." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you, and then if if you use terms like "that's not as good," then it also with that can seem like you're saying that about that that people group. Mm -hmm. But if you just learn, learn from that culture, learn from right. that. So t t teach me another thing. Okay. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. I just learned so much just then. Mm -hmm. It, whether it be that same instrument or whether you want to, you have a different instrument. Well, I do have a few different instruments. One thing that I, I did bring, which because it's something that's so popular now in the contemporary, uh, throwing out categories and genres out, but the contemporary um, church, like CCM style rock music, and maybe even gospel centered churches, is the cajon, right? The box drum. A lot of people may know it as the box drum. Yeah. Um, that is has been over the last ten years become increasingly more and more and more uh, popular, and now we're finally reaching a part where it's becoming mainstream, where it's almost essential. Uh -huh. A church, every church will have yeah. or will have some kind of box drum. So I'm sitting on one right now. Yeah. Um, on the cajon, and but I like. Uh, there's a lot of people that really don't know the history, and it's a fascinating history. And so I I was talking to uh, a few people actually that thought that. The box drum, and I don't look down on them at all for this, they mm -hmm. thought the box drum was actually made for that environment, like the church environment, you know, or yeah. the youth groups or whatever it may be. And that makes sense. If I didn't have any other exposure, I would think that too. But it has this long um, history. So cajon is the term that we use, the word for it, which basically means, and a lot of people say box in Spanish, and it does, but it's not like cardboard box. It's actually like caja from the word caja, like a dresser drawer, like furniture. Okay. So the people that were making them were using certain styles of furniture making and uh, just woodworking um, and, and putting these things together to make a certain sound that may have been either familiar to them and what part of Africa they came from or what other region they came from. So there's debating and conflicting stories when it comes to the cajon. But the popular overarching uh, one is its origin in Peru. That we do know. Okay, so large part of the origin of this style sitting on a cajon, right. box drum, comes from the African slaves in Peru. Okay. Okay, so they were not allowed to play in their instruments, so they fashioned stuff that they could play because they weren't allowed to play them. Wow. But then also there are other scholars that have, other, um, that have written other things like, the let's say, the uh, Peruvian... Uh, and Colombian and other style harp. There would be a harp that was played and someone would tap, hit on the harp while the other person would play. Huh. And so later on that evolved into the cajon. So there, there are different, there are different um, beliefs in it. But generally, the, the blacks in Peru played the cajon and you had different styles like festejo, zamacueca, lando, um, uh, different styles that they would play. And it generally, that kind of cajon doesn't have the snare wires or guitar wires. It doesn't sound like the drum in a box, like what we hear. Like this one, it didn't necessarily, this one actually has three half snares, like on a snare drum inside of it. But before, they would just have this guitar strings uh -huh. in them. Where that came from is a famous Spanish guitarist by the name of Paco de Lucia. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. A famous guitarist from Spain, flamenco came to Peru with his drummer. His drummer saw the cajon or was given to, I don't know the full story of how he ended up with one, but they saw it was the national instrument of Peru, all these people playing it. And at that time, there was probably starting to begin at least a resurgence of this yeah. instrument. 
But you got to think this is the instrument of various oppressed peoples. So it's not necessarily mainstream like it is today. Now it's the national instrument of Peru yeah. and it's highly esteemed. But before, just like the blues in America and the before the 50s, sure. that was black people music in the slum and Memphis and other places. And it wasn't on the radio. But later on, yeah. it became mainstream. Same thing with this. So Paco de Lucia with his band comes to Peru, hear this and go, that's a perfect instrument wow. for the tapas, for the flamenco. So they bring it there, and then they start putting guitar strings in there. They start using it with flamenco. So generally, you have a couple different styles, the Peruvian, Afro-Peruvian, and the Spanish style that's used in bulerias and other flamenco styles. And this will be more of a, like, you know, flamenco style, um, uh, the sound, anyways, of a cajon. So, what about in the style of play? What would make that kind of true to its What would make it heritage? true to would be the rhythm. Like I could play a festejo-ish. Uh, that's kind of a ish of a festejo. Okay. I kind of mixed the lando with, with the... Festejo with the vowels, that whole um, threes, that, that the kind of triplet feel. And it could be felt either straightforward or that kind of waltzy feel. It can be felt. But that is the style. Whereas the flamenco is based on the, the pas, the compas, which would be the time signature, if you will, for uh -huh. the lack of a word. So, like, for instance, in flamenco and bulerias, it doesn't start on the one, but it starts on an accent of 12. So think like 12, 8. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and that's more like twelve, four. But so if it was like twelve, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, that twelve. So they would say dos, un, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, and then the dos is shortened, doce, for twelve. Uh -huh, yeah. So it'd be dos, un, dos, So that what would make it traditional to that yeah. is based on that structure. You get it? Now you can kind of come out of that a little bit and you can play more generic uh, rhythms like um, the rumba flamenco where... What? Which is more of a, 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 a mixture of like the rumba from Cuba and the flamenco and mm -hmm. then it's made not necessarily be like on that 100% on that compas but it's kind of a, a feel to it, you know? Wow. But it's it's the compas which makes it that, and, and in Peru it's the those rhythms that make it that. But the the Peruvian thing with the cajon is fascinating because it's yeah. part of a percussive ensemble as well. Right. So you have the cajita, which is like it has its traditions from. So the Catholics, the Spanish, are the ones colonizing in Peru, right, right. right? And so they had the little the offering box that was be taken, and it has like you can open it as a handle. It's just a little box that you wear with like a necklace, and it was just a little offering box where you open and close it and play different rhythms. Then you have the jawbone, literal jawbone of a donkey. So you have the jawbone, the cajita, then you have the cajon, and then later on the congas were adopted and brought into play some supportive rhythms to that. Um, it's a beautiful style of rhythm because it's. It has compound rhythm. You're, feel, you're singing, I don't know how they describe it, you're singing in one time signature, playing in another time signature, but then you can dance it in another Whoa. time signature, in and out. And it, it kind of likes to, those styles of music, like with, um, with Lando and the variations in it, like to tease the ear. And the one is not, the one in these, this type of music is prescribed. It's not subscribed. It's not definite. It could be like, we just kind of... Uh, we just kind of like suggest it. Right. Right? And a lot of Latin music that's way. Where's the one? As opposed to... That one. Two, three. And we're totally on that. Here where we're at. Like rock music or whatever. But like in Latin music it might be... I know where the one's at. Everyone else knows where the one's at. Every now and then we might play the one. Wow. But then we might play on the end of one later on, and we just kind of float around it, you know. That's awesome. A lot of that's done in, in, in the Afro-Peruvian cajon traditions as well. So what do, what, what do you do if you don't know the rules? Well, if you don't know the rules, just 
play the instrument. It doesn't really. <laughs> I, I'm a little more, you know. I mean, I'm all about fusion, anyways. So, but you yeah, find was, a teacher. I was gonna ask you though. Well, you. I was gonna talk about how you are a teacher. Right. So, WilliamJohnsonMusic.com. Mm -hmm. You've got lessons. You've got right. videos. People can. Uh, I think they're YouTube videos. Oh right? yeah, I have a, and that's what I've been focusing a lot now on my Lately, YouTube yeah. channel. And and you teach people how to how to understand these instruments and how to play these instruments. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if anyone's interested, WilliamJohnsonMusic.com. Check out. It's it's a lot of good stuff on the website about you and your history, as well as yeah. these lessons and, and videos. So if anybody's interested in getting started. And instead of Googling yeah, how yeah. to play drums or how to play... Because it could be overwhelming, Yeah, right? go so to WilliamJohnsonMusic.com. <laughs> but what, what would you say you're offering? I mean, lessons in, is one thing, but this is, might be too loaded of a question, but what genre hmm. are, is your music? Yeah, I'm, I'm largely into taking traditional Puerto Rican and, some, and a lot of Cuban aspects and then West African feel and whatnot and then even the funky syncopation from African American styles and then adopting that into a contemporary Christian context, worship context, only because that's largely where I'm at these days, playing in various churches, you know, um, and how I play. So being able to, a lot of that music may not have all that percussion in the set and you're playing that on Sunday but you want to add another color or you've been suggested by the music director let's add some different stuff but you don't hear it so you're you have to improvise you have to compose and you have to arrange a large thing part of what I do is first just teach the basic facility of playing the drums for a lot of beginners I'm a big on a lot of people that come to me are beginners but I do get a lot of advanced students sometimes too that want to get better at improvisation yeah. so um but I, and every now and then I get someone that wants to learn like the plena from Puerto Rico. So I teach them as much as I can until we start getting into the deep stuff. And then I say, hey, you might need to find this guy in Puerto Rico. He also teaches online or this guy over here. And so some, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mishmash. It's a mix of beginning percussion, learning a little bit of music theory, yeah. understanding how to count, understanding what percussion, what rhythm, what that means right everyone's a timekeeper not just a drummer but you definitely have to learn what that means as it pertains to you how to tune your instrument you know and then there's also the whole idea and importance of improvisation yeah. what does that even mean and how do you even begin to get into that because my thing is when i have a student i don't do as much one-on-one -on -one teaching as i used to now it's more of make a lesson put it out there yeah maybe they pay for those group of lessons or that just turns into me performing somewhere or me being a guest clinician somewhere. Uh -huh. But I'm more into, if I teach you a rhythm and you're a beginner, how do you take that one rhythm and make 40 rhythms out of it? I'm more into teaching that. So it's a really basic music theory and understanding how to construct and deconstruct music based out of that. Because otherwise, and in the beginning stages, that's all you really are going to know. Okay, I need a new rhythm. But yeah. what often happens is a person learns for 10 years how to play that drum, but they're just learning another song then another song, another rhythm, another rhythm, but not understanding, let me teach you how to find a voice. Yeah. Let me teach you how, why this rhythm is a rhythm. You see what I'm saying? Wow, And yeah. how to speak. I'm teaching you a language. That's right. You know? So that's essentially a lot of what I do. But the church thing, and not even just church, I have people that call me that don't even play in church, but they'll play in uh, contemporary styles of music, rock, pop, but they want to play these instruments. And so they're either overwhelmed, intimidated. Yeah. How do you combine yeah. styles that don't seem to be obviously yeah. combinable, right? right? And so I'm, sometimes I'm just teaching rock patterns as they pertain to that instrument. Oh, yeah. yeah so and how not do you even play get into tones, the... Not even get into... But the, here's the thing, though. I'll still teach, like if it's the congas, a Latin-based way idea uh i should say uh pedagogy my pedagogy is still steeped into that world because for an example the conga is elevated to a high level in that world because it's highly respected uh -huh. so because of that just like the guitar in america if it's highly respected there's a lot of time and it's in the university conservatory right so it's elevated to a high level whereas in these various worlds the congas might not be 
So I teach that, not just because the Latin way is better, the Cuban way is better, but they have been focusing on that instrument for hundreds of years, and there's a yeah. lot to give in that facility, you know? So. Well, I mean, if it was designed by a certain people group for a certain reason, mm -hmm. yeah, use it in your own context, but yeah. man... They thought it through for a reason, and it might actually, you might be missing out on right. the best parts of the instrument. It's like being right. an apprentice. If you want to learn how to woodwork, you may not want to make a house, yeah. but you still go and, and learn under a woodworker. Yeah. Still, and they may have established all these amazing skills. You find out what he's doing, and then that teacher may be doing a different style of woodworking than you. But you learn, take what he gave you, and then you go do what you do. Yeah. You know? So... And that's actually the genius, I think, of wearing some, the word genius or brilliant, the word brilliant, when you're able to now create a whole voice mm. out of something that existed, you know, whereas you don't, and then make it sound simple where, yeah. you know, like so anyone you, can You're building it. something here yeah. with your, your style. You, you use this phrase, ethnomusicology. Yeah. What does that mean? So the ethnos part is basically people's group. Right, uh -huh. so like the ethnos people group, musicology being the study of music, more of the, and I'm going to use layman's terms here, just broad terms. Um, so that's more ethnomusicology is basically like the culture of music. Yeah. Even in the field of ethnomusicology, among scholars, there's still over the last hundred years, that's like a, I don't know if that we hear that, but we got. Yeah, uh, there's a truck driving by. Yeah. <laughs> we're out. We're outside on the porch, looking at on this beautiful day. Yeah. So there's still a a a, a fighting of what ethnomusicology even even like a straight hard and fast yeah. definition but most people will say most guys will say it's basically the culture of music like the anthropology oh yeah okay the people and cultures of music and that's what what i think i'm hearing based on what you told me about your 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 heritage mm -hmm. and then what you told me about your music and what i've heard in your music yeah. it's you've chosen to emphasize on the music that is your heritage. Yeah. Now, it's a beautiful thing when someone, let's say you're in a multi-ethnic environment, and you play something, and someone from that culture comes up to you, and they said, and they come up, oh my goodness, I felt like I was at home. That's awesome. And I, when I've had those situations, I've had people come up to me in tears because they felt home That's good. in what I was playing. Yeah. And to me, it's like one of the greatest compliments because now I'm saying, I see you. Yes. And that where the importance of what I was talking about, you don't have to play that tradition, but learning at least a little bit about it saying, says, I see you. Well, that sums up, like I said earlier, that's everything you just said can be applied even without music. It's just fill in the blank of this other thing. I right. sang to someone, I see you, yeah. I acknowledge you and your culture and your heritage has influenced me and has right. taught me and is beautiful and yeah. I've learned it. Oh man, that's that's so fascinating. You got any, you got, I do, you I anything do. Else? So I had the cajon, in front of me I've got what oh, I- Oh, I saw you online kalimba. playing that yeah, thing. What's yeah, that I called? Love... Kalimba, so that's- That's the kalimba. How do you describe it fit visibly to the- The visibly, it's a thumb piano. Thumb it's, piano. Uh, it's basically a thumb piano. So they're like little metal tines, uh -huh. which traditionally, uh, we're out of nails, flattened. So the kalimba is a westernized version of like the embita, which is from the Zimbabwe or the Shona people. Okay. From, think, southern region, not South Africa, but southern region of the continent of Africa, okay. right? So there's different types of, I'm using embira and kalimba as general terms, but each different kind of thumb piano. There was a, a famous um, musicologist, that anthropologist that, and philanthropist that traveled to that area saw this, these beautiful instruments, the Mbira and the other instruments, and then he made a westernized version based on that culture and tradition. Wow. Yeah, so the kalimba, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Here, play, play something. So it's, okay. it's a wooden, it's a small, so yeah. maybe the size of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's wooden, and it's got those metal... Nice, it ling <laughs> lingers there.
Couple holes in the wood so you can Yeah, so you can modulate the sound. Now I'm a, I'm no expert uh-huh. at the Kalimba or the Mbira. I generally I study its history a little yeah. bit and I've even when I was going to uh finishing my in graduate school uh, the the Shona people or whatnot, I'm just yeah. fascinated by the music. Yeah. Um but I again I use it for the sounds that I want to do. But yeah. I'm still constantly learning about uh, I bought I bought an actual Mbira from the Zimbabwe region, and I uh-huh. plan on learning it, you know, this the style. So when you but, add something like that to one of your own original pieces, like when you record an album. Yes, yes. You do it in part because you like the sound. The sound. And in part, are you doing it to sort of acknowledge a culture? And Many kind of, times I'm doing it to acknowledge a culture. And it, say, like, like, you I, matter too. Yeah, you, I see this is you a tribute too. to that. Tribute. Now, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's just, I picked it up, and I played, and I was like, ooh, that sounded cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have a song called The Road. It was a music video where, like, I mean, I don't know if you oh, saw I, that. Yeah, yeah. So the that was I composed that off the kalimba. How about that? And then later on, I, this, the kalimba's still in there a little bit, but then I took that rhythm and then I had that transferred over to the piano. Right. I had another session musician take that idea and transfer it over that, and then I added flute and everything else over, and then it became a completely different style. Ah. So sometimes I'm just using that instrument to compose. The kalimba to me is small; it's right there. I can pick it yeah. up. This one's electric. I can plug it right into my about that? my uh, software recording. No way. Uh, and then I can play, and then I can compose. Really, so it's small. I can take it with me on a trip. And this one's in G. But they're on the opposite side, so you're thinking a little box, like a wooden yeah. box. And we have about, um, what do we have, 15 notes, I think, on here. But on the back, you have all the accidentals. So all the sharps and flats are on the back. Or I can tune it to any key that I want. Oh, my goodness. So I could really be, I mean, it's so portable, too, you mm-hmm. know. It's really a versatile instrument. But the gentleman from Earth, Wind, and Fire, back in the day, the lead singer used to play it all the time, huh. you know. Yeah. It's an amazing instrument, man. I love it. But uh, yeah, that's from the Shona people of the Zimbabwe region. And now yeah. you got to think about uh, colonialism too. Yeah. So when you think about borders, some of this is a bleed over and sometimes into some of the other lands uh-huh. because those people traveled around. Yeah. Just like when you think about the djembe, uh, the kettle-shaped uh, drum um, in West Africa. You think about the Mali Empire. Well, you have Mali, the Gambia, you have Nigeria, and you have all these. So these instruments that they'll play and kind of share sometimes because that whole region was split up into other little countries by the colonialists and the Europeans that came in through there. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, this is from the Shona people in Zimbabwe. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you could learn a lot about the history of the world just by Absolutely. being a musician and you caring can. about the instruments you have. You, you already have yeah. that history lesson yeah. embedded in the thing you're holding. Because that, like, like, like the conga drum, yeah. When people see the conga drum in Cuba and Puerto Rico too, because there's a big history of adopt a- adaptation or adoption of Puerto Rico of Cuban music. They have their own in Puerto Rico, but there's a big adoption of Cuban uh. music as well. But when people see something like, for example, the conga drum, they see identity. Yeah, see sure. It, right, just like here, we're we're in the Blue Ridge Mountains, so you could say in Appalachia when you see a hammer dulcimer, or you see a, a dulcimer, there might be a connection to that you know what i mean yeah. the same way in another part or a banjo you know yeah. which we could re- a banjo we could talk percussion drum yeah. and i could talk about that's a fascinating history too even with the minstrel show and the african-americans you know, even up to today this that's a that's a fascinating history in and of itself but there's just like you can might con- a certain people might connect to it very much so of people in iran or in cuba or in puerto rico connect uh. to it right away you know just having it on the stage and caring a little bit about its facility. Oh, man. Someone from that group comes in and say they're they're just migrated from, you know, they might be a refugee, and they see that. Uh huh. That could do a lot. You may not know how to play that music, from where they're at, but maybe incorporating certain things. It's, yeah, you're saying it matters. Bit, you're already, yes, it's another step. That's so beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me kind of wrap it up with this, because part of the podcast is simplifying mm-hmm. the concept without sacrificing the depth what what do we do now like someone's listening to this they want to they hear this and they're like i want to be like this guy yeah but they don't but all they do they don't know how to do it or they just where do they start you have some lessons on yeah. your website that are for yeah the average, have, the average person that doesn't like know if, anything if they want to play the box drum 
I start from scratch. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they start. So the best thing is you can go to my website and start from scratch there. If you want to go percussion, you can even contact me. And if I don't know how to do it, I'm big on. I'm mm -hmm. not even pretend. Yeah. I will send you along to someone. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the easiest ways they can do because it's overwhelming the amount of information on YouTube or anywhere else. Yeah. But you can start with me. If you like these instruments that I play, um, they can contact me and learn how to play them. Go through a rundown of what instruments you play. So my principal instrument are the congas. I play the bongos, which are the small ones like you could play between your legs or whatever. Um, I play the timbales. I wouldn't consider myself a timbalero, but that's the one Sheila E. plays. Yeah, she yeah. She put on stage with it. So, uh, Tito Puente. I do play the timbales, though. I play the drum kit, the set. I play the set. Um, I play, uh, man, I play the, the tabla from India. Um, I, don't, I studied a classical East Indian tabla a little bit. I'm not a great at it, but I can play a little bit, you know, so I do play tabla. I play the darbuka and the dumbek from the Middle East. You have the Egyptian and Turkish side. So dumbek, darbuka, I play all kinds of frame drums. You have ocean drums, you have the daf, you have, um, and a frame drum is basically, think like a tambourine. It's, it's membrane, it's actual hitting surface is wider than its depth. So it's larger than like a tambourine it might only be an inch thick uh -huh. but the head might be 10 inches wide right yeah so that's considered a frame drum um so i play various types of frame drums um uh yeah man dude i've got about 150 the or 200 some odd yeah uh yeah kalimba i've seen you throw in the little uh what do they call it the, the chimes chimes i play yeah. all yeah. kinds of shakers man i make my own shakers i even brought this little shaker that i made from True Value, and it's pretty cool. I don't think this will get picked up by the sound, uh -huh. but it's it's a, basically for the listeners. It's like a little tin can from Hobby Lobby, and it's got some. It looks mesh like something on you it. keep spices. It in is. It's or... actually like for baking, like okay, right. Yeah. And so, but inside is a uh, mixture of of little nuts and washers and ball bearings. And what's cool is if you play like this, you get a different kind of backbeat. But if you hold it. Oh, nice. Completely. Now watch this because there's a mesh there's an a opening mesh on, on the other side. That's you get so that great. Womp womp. It's pretty cool. So I've made on, on one of my videos that I had, I think I brought it. Yes. This is my favorite one. It's just similar, but that, I love that Strong. sound. Add that with the snare. So I make my own instruments. I have salad bowls made like a tower. They sound like uh, church bells, uh, um, vintage soda bottle caps from the 60s. Uh, yeah. I made a drum that I brought to like uh, a couple in, uh, a couple uh, events out yeah. this way that's made out of a copper-flamed garden stool. Wow. It's a huge garden stool, like those so Asian So that's another like example of like, if you know the backbone, if you understand the way something works, then you can become search, creative yeah, in I'm what you make. I'm big on searching for a sound. Yeah. If you like that and that sound works... That's your percussion instrument. And there's now. probably something that you've made that 300 years from now, someone's going to be playing in some other country. They won't know. And then they'll be like, there was this guy named Will Johnson. <laughs> and he grabbed uh, oh, man. whatever, you know. And then it becomes a tradition, right? <laughs> and then it's a tradition. And, oh, and then someone will remember you. Yeah, but what yeah. would it be called? Would it be a Willinator? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for your time and your wisdom and your friendship and your love and so much i learned a lot from you and i love listening to your stuff i'm very inspired by you so thanks thanks yeah. i appreciate that and uh yeah so if uh, if you're interested in this you want to learn some or just listen you can go to williamjohnsonmusic.com for mm -hmm. video sessions yeah. instructionals music lessons videos. all yeah, yeah and watch his own music videos buy his music as well and you can also go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things so yeah. thanks for listening